We'll start as soon as Larry gets his earphones in. It's first breath, and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence, I am overcome. Sing your praise at the top of my
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you're not already in the uh, room, if you can go ahead and start making your way in. If you're in the room and you want to stand and worship with us, you are more than welcome to stand. Uh, you don't have to. If you're visiting, welcome. If you're checking us out online, uh, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning as we worship. And all that is within me cries for you alone.
words with me. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins.
Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that the price has been paid. God, we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to perform. God, that we don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to do all these things to have you accept us. Lord, that you do that just out of your good grace. You do that out of your good mercy, Lord. And you invite us in, Lord, to rest from our, from our worrying, from our stress, from our trying to be good enough. And just rest in the fact, Lord, that you have accomplished everything that has to be done. God, we ask, Lord, as we sing through this song, that you would just remind us of that. We'll make that true in our hearts this morning, that we can rest from our work of trying to please you, Lord. And we can rest in your goodness.
blessing and honor, glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest. Oh, rest and rest. Oh, rest in our God. Amen. Man, if you are a religious person, you're working too hard. It's all done by Jesus Christ on the cross. Salvation is free. And I know that's a problem for some people because we want to feel like we participate, but you can't participate in this one because you're, you're the problem. You can't fix the problem by being the problem. And Jesus Christ, who was not the problem, came and he died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and changed and transformed. And uh, wow, what a, what a great worship package this morning. What is your problem? Do you do everything? No, no, that's true. No, thank you. And then we had Chad up here for the first time playing. Where did he, he? He's gone. So playing bass guitar. He's in my Bible study Sunday night. He and Megan are been part of our church. That's David Sullivan's brother, and he's been here forever. But you may not have seen him, but now you have. So say hi, hi to Chad. What a, what an awesome morning of worship. Uh, the songs are are honest and true and meaty, and I hope you're encouraged by that. Um, lots of stuff going on this morning. Our Amazon team landed in Houston, and they are on their way back to Lovekin right now. So thank the Lord for a safe trip. I haven't heard, except that they had a very good time. So we want to be praying for them as they acclimate back to life here. It's exciting because Josh and Allie are here with little Levi, who will be sleeping through my message this morning, which is kind of offensive, but I'll just call him. Oh, Allie's hoping. But... We're very excited because Josh and Allie, as you know, they are our missionaries with what was called Campus Crusade for Christ, but is now Crew, and they have been working out of, um, and we'll let them explain it as weeks go on, but they're working out of Chicago area where they worked with recruits to the Navy, uh, in the Navy and doing ministry there. Well, the Lord has moved them out of that, and now Josh mentors new missionaries coming into crew, and uh, Allie is now, are you in the technical area of crew, Allie? Kind of. So Allie is doing work. She just came on full-time as a missionary this last week. Is that right? So they are both missionaries with crew, and they're going to be at least for a year or so living in East Texas. We're hoping it's for the rest of their lives, but they're going to be a part of, actually, they're going to be attending Carpenter's Way every week too, or as the Lord allows, but doing ministry. And until they get things settled in, a, in an office, they're going to be working out of our building as well. So we're very excited to have you guys here. Welcome. You are allowed to sleep during the message this morning because you drove all the way yesterday. So it's great to have you here. And uh, Phil, if he sleeps, just smack him, all right? That's right. Your, hand, your arm is long enough there. So anyway, welcome home, you guys. We are, gl we are so glad to have you here. I mean, we are honored. So make sure you welcome them home. I wrote these things down because I'm going to forget stuff. Do you guys know that school starts this next week for teachers? So we're praying for you. 
I want you to know, not just teachers, but bus, we're really praying for bus drivers, but we're praying for you teachers, uh, people who cook and, and feed the kids and nurses, and man, there's a lot of you at Carpenter's Way, we're praying for you, that is your mission field, and uh, just like people who serve in New Guinea, those little tribal children are your mission field, so we're praying for you, uh, that Hold on, thank you, I can use it. <laughs> but anyway, we're praying for you, and uh, I think does Love Kids starts like a week from next Thursday, is that right? 12th. The 12th? So, and then other schools start, I mean, it's, it's like, wow, you know, now that I don't have kids in school, it just happens fast. So, uh, I'm, you know, we're praying for you, hang in there. A lot of people are gone on mission, or vacation, trying to get that last uh, minute in, but we want you to know we're praying for you, and we're proud of you, and just like we're excited to have Josh and Allie here serving, we believe you are serving full-time as well. So, if you need encouragement, if you need special prayer, do not hesitate to call us. Uh, Adam does that as well, so... I'm just, I'll stop picking on you now. Let's see what else. Oh, hey, I wanted to mention, that's why I wrote this down, I'd forget. I wanted to mention that we had a family in our church, the Spillers, who have been coming here for a few months. Uh, their house burnt down, like to the ground. They were in San Antonio on vacation and it burnt down. They were living in a duplex with her grandmother and it's, it's all gone. Everybody was safe. They lost some cats, uh, but the dogs and stuff. But will you pray for them? I mean, it, it's it's like not half gone. It is, it is gone. So we would ask you to pray. P uh, pay attention as, as they have needs. We're going to help them. Uh, so uh, we'll let you know when they have special needs and you can participate. Uh, so uh, the Spillers are, kinda, are very special in lots of reasons. But he was, uh, her husband Andy serves in the Army and retired uh, in, uh, I think, last year. He worked in Afghanistan uh, in dealing with uh, explosive devices. And so when they got out of the military, you know, it's, it's a different life in the military. She's a military wife, and, and uh, she was, we're just glad they're here. Now we can love on them. So one of the things that happens when you're in the military is the military family is very tight-knit. Now we get to show them what God's family's like, right? So we're going to do that. So uh, just so we'll let you know. Uh, we communicate with you, as you notice this as you notice this, I don't know what happened, but I don't know, where's the music? I want something, come on, drums, get up here, play something. But uh, uh, as uh, we communicate with you, we don't have handout bulletins anymore. We do that through email. Uh, also, we will communicate you through text. Uh, and um, so that's how we communicate digitally with you all. So if you have not, if you have not received anything from the church and you've been going here a while, when this service is over, my, my dad and my mama Karen will be at the welcome table out there. And there's just a small sheet that updates your information, your phone number, your email. And so you can have all that information. And that's how we'll communicate with you for needs in the church. I want to remind you one more thing, and then we'll get into our text, that we need to be praying for each other because everybody's got stuff, right? Everybody's Everybody's going through it. Everybody is. And with that, we want to pray for each other. And there's three ways to pray for each other. On the wall between these two openings is a prayer wall. You can put an anonymous prayer request right there. Pray for me. It can be specific or just general, but you just put that on there. What we ask is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you put your prayer request on there, you take somebody else's so that we're praying for each other. Uh, the other way is uh, you can let 
uh, one of the staff people know, if you have an emergency, if you end up in the hospital, last minute surgery, something like that, and Dolores has a team of people that just pray for each other. It's, it's an urgent prayer team is what it is. If you'd like to be on that, if you'll let us know, we'll put you on it. Or if you have a need like that, that, that you want prayer right now, we'll put that on there, out there. We text it out to people. To, we have a team, like I said, that prays. The third way is to let us know in the office, let Dolores know, and we put it on the weekly prayer guide that comes out Friday as well. So be praying for each other. But uh, we are a body. We are a family. We take care of each other. And uh, the best thing we can do is pray for each other. So just to remind you of all that. Um, so anyway, let's jump into our text this morning. We are in Acts, as uh, you know. We ended last week with Paul's friends, his fellow ministry partners, uh, his spiritual brothers and sisters, all pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem. He has been told by multiple prophets that Jerusalem would be a place where he is beaten, he's arrested and chained up, and he will probably die. That is the expectation of his friends, and they love Paul. No matter what you and I think of Paul when we read his writings, some people think he's a tough guy, but they loved him. They, he, they depended on him for encouragement, and uh, so they were pleading with him not to put himself in harm's way. Uh, even Luke it's, it, it tells us, begged Paul to continue his ministry outside of the Jewish regions, but Paul loved his Jewish brothers and sisters. And as you know, as we work through a text, and we've got about three or four more weeks in Acts, then we're going to jump to Galatians, and you'll want to be part of that study. Because what we're going to do in Galatians is we're going to take this pendulum of what is, how is a person saved that is swinging in the church wildly right now from legalism to you have to you have to be a good person to be saved to the other side which says God doesn't care about sin anymore and we're going to find that middle ground and how are we going to do that by just studying what Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia so that's what we're going to do next uh, so you'll want to be a part of that that's coming up very quickly and you might want to start reading that uh, in preparation for that but um, it, where we find ourselves right now is context matters and Paul despite being the apostle to the non-Jewish community the Gentiles Paul still loved the Jewish world. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, which was written uh, between where we are right now and the end of his life, Paul wrote this in Romans 9, 2, and 3. My heart is, built, uh, is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. And he specifically tells us who he's talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. My Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed. And he even explains that. I'd be willing to be cut off from Christ myself if that would save them. I mean, Paul is passionately in love with the Hebrew people. And yet, they're about to wreak havoc on him. Paul trusted God's path for his life, and that trust directed his decisions in everyday life. And, and look, this is super important. The value, one of the, one of the values of Acts and the Gospels isn't just doctrinal stuff. Uh, the value isn't just learning about Jesus. It's learning how our, our brothers and sisters before us actually with the Holy Spirit within them endured the difficulty of life that you and I face every day. How did they do that? How, and it shows us, and I hope you've learned that from here, these were not perfect people. You're going to see that in today's text. But it teaches us what to do, but it also teaches us what not to do, right? 
It's very, very important that we understand that no matter what you learned in third grade Sunday school, the truth is out of stained glass, out of Sunday school, when you just read it, you realize this is a pretty messed up group of people that are inhabited by the Holy Spirit and that God uses. And what happened in Paul's life is he, he loved his life. He loved uh, the people he was with. He had no interest in being hurt, but he loved and trusted God more. And that directed his life. When everybody's saying, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul's saying, I must go to Jerusalem. I was called to go there. And, and that's important because you and I are facing stuff every day too. Paul isn't that special. Yes, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. But the truth is that if God called you to write a book in the New Testament, you would write that. If God allowed you to heal people, you would do that. If you were, uh, God uses us. We are all, not just Paul, we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, which he prepared beforehand for us to do. In other words, the only reason we are still here is not just to be good parents or good spouses or good church members or whatever it is, but we are actually here because we still have work to do. God's desire, uh, at, at just about every funeral of a believer, I love Psalm 116, verse 15. It says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not because he's like high five in the Trinity going, oh, it's good that they died, but he's excited to be with us. In John 17, which is the prayer of Jesus for his disciples and us, he says, Father, I long for them to be with us. This whole thing about God was not to keep us out of hell, but because God wanted an intimate relationship with us. The unchanging plan of God, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, is to adopt us. While evangelists and church people, and, and it's true that Jesus can keep you out of hell, that is not the reason Jesus died. He died to make you adoptable, to build a relationship. And he wants a relationship with us. And so the only reason we're not there, which is God's design or desire, is because there's work for us to do. And so Paul's work isn't done, and he trusts God for his work. It is during this difficult time of life and ministry that he writes Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Philippians 1, 29 says, For you have been given, and he's writing to the church of Philippi, but he's also writing to us, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him, to which God's people went, thanks. I mean, nobody wants to suffer, but it is a privilege because we share in the sufferings of Christ. They're not persecuting a believer who's not a jerk. That's personal persecution. But a believer who gets persecuted for telling the truth and living the truth, they're persecuted because of that truth because they hate your father, not because they hate you. Paul goes on to say in verse 30, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know I'm still in the midst of it. It is during this period of time that Paul writes what's called the Pauline epistles. They are the prison epistles. There are three or four of these books or letters that Paul writes from prison. He's in prison. He's not sure he's going to live. He says that in Romans. He says that in other places. But he is confident that he needs to continue to do his task in ministry as long as he is alive. So if you're in a position right now, and I'm, I'm just going to give away the, I'm going to give away the end of the, the end of the story today. If you are in a position right now that has you discouraged or scared, you are still in that position because God has work for you to do in that position. Gracie Bonin is leaving us soon. 
She's going to college. I'm picking on you. I know you're like, why are you picking on me? Because I just said this morning, I, t I told her that she needs to enjoy the next two weeks of preaching because it's going to be lousy from here on out the rest of her life. So, but she's going to college, and I'm going to tell on you, she's nervous. Why wouldn't she be? Mom and dad have taken care of everything. It's safe. She knows where food is, all that stuff. And you know, you're, you're excited and you're scared, and she's in the midst of that. But I want Gracie to know, and, and so I'm preaching at you right now, the reason you are going to Louisiana to go to school is not because you're go, you chose to go to Louisiana, but God has work for you to do that. So while you try to pass your classes, which will be very hard for you because you are unusually dumb, the, the fact is, the fact is that God has work for you to do as long as they don't throw you out of the school. She is a straight-A student. This kid was out of school for a year because of illness, and she aced all of her classes. Anna's like that. They annoy the crap out of me. They can't fail if their life depends on it, but we're proud of you. But the truth is, you are going to Louisiana Baptist, or Bible College, Louisiana Baptist, because God has a task for you to do. You are going there, and that place will be better with you there because that's your task. For some of you just moved to East Texas. God has a task for us who are not native East Texans here. For some of you that are being called to different places, you are where you are, not because God is sleeping or going, oh, I, I forgot about Larry, but because God has work for Larry. And you're all wondering which Larry I'm talking about. Um, but God is working in and through you wherever you are. Every day is a divine appointment. Every moment is a divine appointment. You are God's. And this is very difficult for us because we all understand that. We all amen that unless we get a diagnosis of cancer or we end up being mistreated by somebody or pulled over or whatever, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever difficult decision we find ourselves mad. That wasn't fair. It may not be fair, but it's still where God has you, where God has us. And actually, what I just did is I kind of went through where Paul is. Everything that's happening to him is absolutely unfair. Nothing's changed but technology, friends. Now, Paul ends up in prison and ends up in Rome, but it's all because of God's network and plan for his life. And wherever you are right now, take heart, you're in the hands of God. And if you're not surrendered to him, you're still in the hands of God if you're his child and he's guiding and directing your life. So thank him for his grace and give your life to him again. It's not a re-salvation. It's a recommitment to discipleship. It's I'm going to follow you, even if it means my death. That's where we are today. That's why in our last study of the life of Jesus, who is this man, that series, when Jesus looks at the disciples and tells them that you're going to suffer and have trouble in this life, and they're like, well, you know, what do we do? And Jesus says, well, look at the bright side. What's the worst they can do? Kill you? And again, I think that's funny because at first the disciples had to go, yeah, that's not good. Are, are you not aware that death is a bad thing for people? But to God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who sees, who has been with uh, the Trinity in heaven, the one who is here on earth and sees on the other side of the veil we've been talking about on Wednesday night, death is just a doorway to our real life. This life may last you 120 years, but that life is going to be eternity. And we are trying to drag as many people as we can with us, right? In Jesus Christ. And so we're still here. Wherever you are, whether you live in a nursing community or watching right now and you're frustrated and angry and hurt, or whether you are in high school in East Texas and you don't like your school, you are a missionary. 
You don't have to like the kids you work with in order to serve God. Paul went to Gentiles. Paul, the Jew's Jew, the Pharisee, the guy who was doing all those Hebrew things, was called by God to serve with people that he grew up not liking. It's important we understand that you're not called to your likes. You're called to His. Find joy in His work. So now that I've ended the message, let's look at what that looks like, okay? Acts 21, verses 27 to 36, says some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused them all against him. So Paul went on to Jerusalem despite everybody, including Luke, telling him not to go. And this is what happened. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. Again, they make tons of assumptions and false accusations. Here's another one. So next time you feel like we, you, are being mistreated by a government that's evil, just stop it. They've always done that to followers of Jesus. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You are considered a privilege to share the sufferings of Paul and, by the way, Jesus, who was also lied about unfairly by a government. You know, so, so let's just get over ourselves. This is not our life. This is his life to live out, and then we get to go to heaven, and behold, I prepare a place for you. That's our life. We get to enjoy eternity. But for now, we got to work. we got to self-deprecate. This is an upside-down kingdom. We give up everything for the one who gave up everything for us. So they make assumptions. They make accusations against him that aren't fair. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dra grabbed out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, well, that's not very nice. It's not very nice, but it did happen. As they are trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. What? He was hit by a car. I mean, he's bloody. He's on the ground. And they're all like, what? I mean, they stop. Because they're more afraid of Rome than Paul's God. So they stop. When the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains, prophecy fulfilled, he asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some another. And since he didn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, <clears throat> he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him up on their shoulders and body surf him to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, Kill him! Kill Paul! And with that, I say, join the Hebrew religion. It's a loving religion. It's nuts! This is a religious mob, and they want to kill this guy. Just has been prophesied, though. Just has been prophesied. Just as Ananias had told Paul, when he gets saved, you are going to suffer for the sake of the gospel message. It's happening here. And Paul is in trouble. It looks as though Paul would be killed right there on the spot until he's rescued by the Roman dogs. I say that not because it's a fact, but that's because that's how they felt. 
It's the enemies of God that rescue them. Think about that. The Jews considered themselves the people of God. And now it's the enemies of God that God uses to protect Paul because it's not his time to die. After receiving permission, Paul begs, in Greek, he begs the centurion, the Roman leader, to allow him to speak to the crowd. And after, reason, uh, after receiving permission, he tells the angry crowd of Jews that he understands and even respects their zealousness. And he goes on to explain how he got to where he was. And he tells his testimony. And it starts with, many of you know me. Hey, there you are. Head of the, remember last week we talked about it? the head of the, the, the Pharisees were there. They're all rioting up like they did with Jesus, trying to get him to kill him. And Paul kind of waves at him in the crowd. Hey, there you are. Whatever your name is. Joshua, there. Hey, remember we went out and killed Stephen together. I mean, he says, you guys know me. I was zealous like you are, so I understand your zealousness. The problem is, I've been transformed. And he tells him how, and he tells him what happened on the road to Damascus. And we'll pick up in, in chapter 22, 21, which is where we ended last week, where Paul says this. The crowd quiets down, and they're listening to him. They're intrigued by his story. And the Lord said to me, Paul said, for I will go send you far away to the Gentiles. Now take note of that, because the crowd listened until Paul said that word. What word? Gentiles. Prejudice is not new. It's always been, and it always will be, but it should never be in the church. But it will always be outside of the church. Just the word Gentiles triggers this crowd, and they all begin to shout, away with such a fellow, he's not fit to live. They yelled and threw off their coats. Think about how unhinged these people are. Throwing off their coats, and they tossed handfuls of dust in the air. These people are unruly. They're crazy. They're throwing their clothes off. They're throwing dust in the air. And God has to be going, man, these people I made are weird. What are they accomplishing? It really looks bad for Paul here. Really, really bad. But no matter how bad it looks for Paul, no matter how bad it looks for us, Remember Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, we, we don't like that part, but please take note that it's in there. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. I have a grandson who is the cutest kid in the history of grandsons. I'm sorry. I am grandpa blind. And he is walking now, almost running. And as he moves around, the one thing that stops him is threshold. And he gets to a threshold, and he thinks he can go over, and he doesn't want to take my hand because he's rebellious like his father. And he either gets down, and then he all of a sudden, you know, and then he tries to step over, and he starts to stumble. Eventually, he grabs my hand, and he holds on, and even when he stumbles, he doesn't fall. That's what this is describing. So for those of you who are experiencing a life like Paul here, right now at this moment, it's okay to struggle. We, we're going to struggle. Sam is going to stumble, and he's going to scrape his knees. Sometimes he won't grab my hand. But with God, he never lets go of your hand. And you will stumble. And Paul's going to stumble here in a moment. But he never falls. Because God is, in, God is protecting him. Not from beatings, and not from chains, and not from imprisonment. He is protecting him from not finishing his task. He's not protecting him to give him a good life. 
He's protecting him so that he can finish his God-directed life. And I'm sorry, but you've been lied to, and so have I. God is not sitting in heaven going, how can I make their life better? God is in heaven going, I'm going to help them finish the task I have given them, and then I'm bringing them home. We are here to serve the Lord until we are no longer called to serve, and then he takes us home. And some of us it happens at 20, and some of us it happens at 50, and some of us at 110, and it's always painful. But as a child of God, you may stumble, and you may scrape your knees, and you may get discouraged, but you will not fall if you're holding on to God's hand. That's called hope. Hold on to Jesus. Trust him with your life. He's earned it. Trust him. So will all my scary stuff go away? No. What will happen is he will make it where you finish your task, even in the midst of fear. So we move on. Acts 22, verse 24. So the commander, they start, remember, they're throwing dirt in the air and they're starting to rip their clothes off and they're unhinged, right? The commander brought Paul inside and he ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. Surely he's done something. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. Put unhinged in there. The reason they don't grab Paul again is because he's under Roman protection. They wouldn't dare do that. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man's a Roman citizen. Do you like how everybody saves their backside? The guy who orders him arrested is now going to the commanding officer going, well, I want to beat him. He had just told him to beat him. And now he's like, don't, don't beat him. He's a Roman officer. What kind of law have you just broken? So the commander went over and asked Paul, are you really a Roman citizen? Paul replies, yeah, I certainly am. I too, I am too, the commander muttered. <laughs> me too. Cost me plenty. What that means is he had to pay for his Roman citizenship. Why? Because he wasn't a natural born Roman. Paul hears him muttering. It says he's muttering under his voice. And Paul, who is now playing chess, mind you, not checkers, leans forward and he says, I'm a citizen by birth. That's really bad. So in all of these, Romans are all about the law. Please understand that no matter what you learned during your Easter pageants growing up, the Romans had no opinion about Jesus. They didn't care about the religion of, of Christianity or followers of Jesus. What they cared about is saving their own bacon. And what happened is you have Roman kings or emperors, basically setting up governors, and those governors have military forces that keep the peace. That's all they care about. There aren't enough Roman people to rule the world. So what they do is they make peace with different countries and different regions and different demographic groups, and then he sets governors over those, th those people, and he tries to keep the peace. If in, fact, uh, if, in fact, unrest breaks out and starts to kill Romans, guess who's going to be killed? The governor. Not just arrested, but killed. And so the governor now is concerned that this is turning into an uncontrollable circumstance. So 
what's, there's only one thing worse than having that, and that is for Felix to find out that they have unfairly beaten a Roman citizen. And now, all of a sudden, Paul, who is the captured prisoner, is in a better political position than even the, the governor and the general and the commander. Why? Because he's a natural-born Roman citizen. Whether you understand that is not important, but those are the legal facts. And so, you, so now you understand why this is about to turn around. The soldiers who are about to interrogate Paul, that's cold, uh, that is code for beat him, quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. He broke Roman law for which he would be personally held accountable. The next day, so they put him away and leave him alone. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. So now he's thinking strategically. How can I get out of this mess? I can blame his beatings on the Jews. So he wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. So let me explain what the Jewish High Council is. You are familiar with this group because they are the ones who put Jesus to death. They are the ones who met with Pilate and say, we want him dead. And remember, Pilate said, it's not legal for me to kill him. And the Jews said, you either kill him or we're going to tell your governor, Herod, that you love Jesus more than the Hebrew people, that you are, are causing a insurrection. So against the advice of his wife, remember he washes his hands? Pilate doesn't care about Jesus. He doesn't care about the Trinity. He doesn't care about Jewish religion. All the Romans care about is peace because they don't know this. They are believe in multiple gods. They don't care, and we think they care. They don't care religiously. They care politically. But the Hebrews hate this. They want him dead. And the same group of people that want Jesus dead, now Paul is standing in front of. And let me explain this council. It's made up of two groups of people that are Hebrews, or Jews. Number one is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were Jewish rabbis and renowned religious teachers who believed in that, that God above all should be followed or his laws. So they were scholars of the Torah of the Old Testament, and they were obsessed with that. Then you had the Sadducees. They were legal appointees of Rome who were less theological and more legal. And what this group did was they were the council with which Rome ruled Hebrew people down here. They were the, inter they were the intercessors. They were the middle. And what they would do is this council would get together and they would try to take Roman law and Jewish law and make them work together. That makes sense? They were the, they were the peacemakers, theoretically. The problem was, they hated each other. You see, the Pharisees thought that in, those of you who have been watching The Chosen, the Pharisees acted like Peter when it came to Matthew. They looked at those people like tax collectors. You guys don't even care about God and spiritual things. You just care about the law. They were lawyers. The Sadducees looked at the Pharisees as if they were just religious zealots. They hated each other. And Paul, who is now about to play chess takes a stand before the council and starts the conversation. I don't know if that was tradition. I don't know what. But Paul doesn't wait for somebody to make a charge in Acts 23 verse 1. He starts by gazing intently at the high council. Paul begins, brothers, 
I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. And you and I go, well, that's a, that's a nothing statement. I mean, it's just, it's like, dear brothers, I am a man of God. But please understand, that's not what Paul was saying. This wasn't clean. This was a slap. This was a shot across the bow. Because Paul begins this hearing by making it clear, not only where he has stood, but where he still stands. And his statement is, I serve, I obey, I honor the living God, which you guys do not. And no matter what you do today, no matter what you tell the Romans, I stand before that God with a clear conscience. In other words, do as you wish, but everything I have done was for God. I don't apologize for it. And he approves of me, not you. That is offensive. Especially to a group of people that are religious people. At least half of them, the Pharisee part of this council, was. Now, this thing where religious people who obsess over the Old Testament is not new to Jesus' court case or Paul's court case, I want to remind you of John chapter 12, verse 42. Many people believed in Jesus, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Next line. This is super important. Hit it. Okay, just leave that up there. Did you read it? Let me read it for you. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Leave it up there, please. Because I want you to understand something. Herein lies the difference between followers of Jesus and religious people. Religious people fear being judged by their religious peers and the world. God's servants only live to serve, please, obey, and honor God. He is not only their measuring stick, he's their goal. And these religious people, even in Jesus' life, this is before he's tried, loved human praise more than the praise of God. And I just want to undermine Christendom today and say there's a lot of people who love Christianity but have no feelings about God whatsoever. They're called legalists. They live in a world where their goal, and I remember this as a child, I remember being told we don't go to movies because if other, other Christians, what will other Christians think if they see me in a movie? Or we don't drink beer because what will other Christians think? Well, the question isn't what Christians think. The question is, what does God think? You see, religious people, including religious Christians, only care about crowd control, about people praise, about religious praise. And you have a classic example in the Gospels as well as in Acts of people who are more concerned with a human religion based upon a true God instead of that God themselves. Never, ever, ever, family, never, ever follow a man. You follow Jesus. When I came to Carpenter's Way, there were some things going on in the inner circles of the church, and I had somebody who finally, did, I mean, who, who, had told, who, who uh, believed in my ministry and believed in my plan, and they came and they met with me, and they said, look, I want you to know I'm on your side no matter what happens. And I, whoa, 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 I don't want you on my side. I want you on God's side, and I'm going to seek God's side, and if we are, we'll end up as two frogs on the same lily pad. We are not of Paul. We are not of Apollos. We are not of Bethel music. We should not be of the Baptist Southwestern Convention. We should not be SBCT or BGCT. For those of you who are part of the Southern Baptist Convention, there's been a war in those two groups for the past 
20 years. They hate each other. And I'm like, I just want to be about God. Be about God. You should not be Carpenter's Way to the, you know, if it hurts Harmony Hill or, or Timber Creek, we, those of us who have believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone, are all on the same team, even if we attend different churches. The minute, the minute our churches start competing, which we all do, we are no longer serving God, we're serving religion. I said a few years ago that if we ever put up a, a uh, if we ever start an advertising campaign, see, I think you are the best advertisement. And if people aren't interested in your walk with God, why would they be interested in our church service? That's my feeling. I mean, you're the best advertisement. But I've always felt like that if we're going to do an advertising campaign, we're going to put signs across the street from churches, and the signs are going to say two things. Number one, our pastor can beat your pastor's, kick your pastor's butt. That's one. And the, uh, the other one is going to be six-month tithe-free with transference of membership. <laughs> You're laughing because it's ridiculous. It's, it's even dangerous because I'm good friends with uh, Brothers Keepers, Pastor, and stuff. That guy could kick my butt, I've got to tell you something. I told him when we had lunch a couple of weeks ago, I will never put that sign across your church. He said, well, I'll put it across from your church. <laughs> the, 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 there's a bunch of bikers over there, I've got to tell you something. They are tough. But... The truth is we're on the same Jesus side, unless we're not. And, and I'm not talking here about crazy Pentecostal whack-out stuff. I'm talking about evangelical churches here who believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone. Trinitarian churches. We are not competing. We are on the same side, unless we're not. And if we're not, we're no different than these people here who are accusing Paul. Do you understand that? Because nothing's changed, just technology. The temptation to make this a team sport is satanic but powerful. We're not in competition. We are in service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Paul stands before them and he says, uh, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. And instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Wow! But Paul, <laughs> but Paul, who didn't like being slapped and had a fiery, pharisaical attitude as well, said to him, God's going to slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? <laughs> Shh, Paul. Smoke a joint, dude. Calm down. I did not mean that in a literal sense. I, at the bottom of your screens is small text that says, the statements made by the pastor of church do not reflect the elders of Carpenter's Church. <laughs> Calm down, dude. Because I think he loses his mind. He doesn't like to be slapped. Why do I think that? Two things happen at this point. I believe that Paul is about to apologize humbly and sincerely for the disrespect he just showed. Why? Those standing near Paul, verse 4, said to him, Do not dare insult God's, or do you dare to insult God's high priest? Paul responds, and it looks sincere to me. 
I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul continues, this next thing is why I believe he's sincerely apologizing. Because he actually points out the teachings of Jesus that said, for the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul loses his mind. He stumbles, just like you and I. You may hate our new, our new president. You may have hated our old president, but it's time to get over it. Because that's not what we're about. We're not about politics. We're not about governments. You can vote that way. You can wish that way. Paul wishes here that he would shut up. But that's not Paul's call. His call is to serve God. Right? Do you see it? And he immediately apologizes. The enemies of the cross are evil. Okay? They're lawless. They'll even use the same laws that they accuse Paul of to kill Paul. They will do the very thing they accuse Jesus of to kill Jesus. They will accuse us of things and do the very same things. Does that not sound like our country right now? They will do that. But it does not give us the right to get in the mud with them. And I think my flesh, I'm talking about me for a minute, my flesh liked the last president because he told them things I wanted to say. None of those things have anything to do with godliness or the right spirit. You, you can disagree with me all you want, but that's exactly what happens here. I may not like what's going on in my country, and it may make me think about my grandson's country, and, and, and how stupid are you? That is not the attitude of our upside-down kingdom. Our attitude is we've got a better kingdom that's run by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and in the end, he's going to have the final say, and we're going to trust him. That's where we live. That's where Paul lives. It doesn't, make we, doesn't mean we don't stumble. We stumble all the time, but, but then all of a sudden, as we fall like little Sam... God picks us up and we go, okay, oh man, I shouldn't have posted that on Facebook. You want to stop posting those things on Facebook, apologize for the ones that were wrong on Facebook. You won't do it very many times because the people are going to mock you for apologizing. Some are going to hate you for apologizing and you'll never want to go through it again. It's the same, by the way, with your spouse. If you're mistreating your spouse, start apologizing when you know you've mistreated them and it'll slow down greatly. Because the look in your spouse's face when you apologize and admit you're wrong is of the devil. I know you were wrong. It's, finally, it's nice for you to finally catch up with me. But here, the reason we do it, and I'm making fun, but the reason we do it, because Julie's never done that. The reason we do that, though, is we don't apologize because they're going to respond right. We apologize because it's the right thing to do before our God. The reason we don't cuss out somebody on the opposite side isn't because they don't deserve it. They might deserve it, but because that's not what Jesus did. The reason that we don't wish for the death of a president we don't agree with is not because we don't really wish in our flesh he die or go away, but because we hope that he comes to know Jesus Christ personally. Because a thousand years from now, none of us are going to worry about the United States of America. All we'll know is God. Does that make sense? Yes. Nothing's changed but technology. Same frustration, same feeling, same stumbling. So Paul realized that some of the, oh, okay, so the second thing, I said there were two things. First of all, I think Paul's sincere, but the second thing is I think at this point Paul realizes that there's no way he can win this, so he's about to play chess while they're playing checkers. You'll see what I mean. Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, okay? So now we're getting strategy. So Paul shouts, brother, 
I'm a Pharisee, as were all of my ancestors. And I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. You see, the, Pharise the Sadducees, the lawyers, say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits. They're secular. But the Pharisees, the rabbis, believe in all of these. So there was a great clamor arising. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up to argue that Paul was right. Hey, we like this guy. Paul's our man. Paul, 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 Paul. This is so crazy. We see nothing wrong with him, they said. Perhaps a spirit or an angel actually spoke to him. Surely it wasn't God, but, but maybe he just got confused. Maybe he's just a confused soul. We kind of like this guy. He's one of us. They shouted grew louder and louder, and the men were tugging at Paul from both sides. They were pulling him this way and that. Finally, the commander, fearing that they would tear him apart. Now you know that he's not being illustrative, that Luke is actually describing. you got the Pharisees going, he's with us. Good job, Paul. And while they're doing that, you got the Sadducees going, get him. Let's beat him to death. So the commander is afraid that they're going to rip him apart, ordered his soldiers to take him away from them and bring him back to the fortress. This is the stuff that movies are made of. Poor Paul, right? I mean, it seemed completely out of control to those looking on. God was at work, though, even in the fake court. It's just like watching Joseph being thrown in a pit. He couldn't possibly know that soon he would be second in command in the nation. But that's what God had planned for him. So he orchestrated it through difficult means. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you've got it all over your house. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart until you're convinced that God's lost control. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. And, and what's that last line? One more time. He will show you which path to take. How many times have you gone, God, what, what do you want me to do? I don't want to do that. What else? I mean, how about keep walking? Are you, are you diagnosed with cancer and you don't know what to do? Keep walking. Go to the doctor. They're going to offer you options. Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, which one does the doctor recommend? Stand there. And if you go down the wrong path, he will send a whale to swallow you and spit you up on the shore. He's done it before. Well, I don't get close to the ocean. I don't like that. Then he'll send a donkey to talk to you. Why are you beating me? I mean, the, the fact is, when you're in the hand of a mighty God, nothing can stop you except his plan to stop you. Do you see what I'm saying? We, we live in a world where we're so obsessed and pastors help with that. It tells you, 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 you. I'm telling you, God, 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 God. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All you've got to do is agree with that. Put yourselves in the hand of a mighty God. No matter how scared you are, no matter how, uh, how sinful you've been, the good news is you've never out you've never out-stupid, and I think, and if you disagree with me, it's okay, but I think Paul gets stupid here in the same way he got stupid with Barnabas. He's not a perfect guy. He's a mistake maker. The good news is when you're holding on to Jesus' hands when you stumble, you don't fall. He picks you up. So it's not too late to put your trust in the Lord. Grab your wife's hand right now and pray with her. Pray with her and thank God for his d d direction for your family and, and, and ask him to give you more with your demon-possessed child or whatever you got going on. Draw him into your family. Draw him into leadership of your life. That night, here's what's really cool though. So we got Paul now in prison. Uh, the council didn't work. The commander is now at a loss. 
And that night he's in prison and the Lord appears to Paul and he said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. I really believe that God still meets with people and says, it's going to be okay, I got this. And maybe he's going to say to you, you're going to be with me in six days. Maybe he's going to say to you, you're going to be with me in five years, but it's going to get ugly between now and then. I, I don't know what it is. But I do know that as you hold on to his hand while you stumble, he's going to pick you up. God is faithful. And even when your heart is empty, he will meet with you. Trust him. Put your trust in him. Put all of your eggs in Jesus' basket. Well, what if it ends up crashing? Then you'll have an omelet. But in 100 years, you're going to see his faithfulness. Because even as Paul is in prison, and by the way, the Greek here is interesting because it, it actually says have courage. So the Lord is telling Paul, you need to have some courage. Do you know why the Lord has to meet with Paul to tell him that he needs courage? Because he doesn't have courage. I love that. You guys are learning. The reason God meets with the, with the, the shepherds and says fear not is because they're afraid. Paul is human. He's mad. He's hurt. He's wondering what he's done. He's mad at himself for telling off the high priest. On the other hand, he thinks the high priest needed more. He'd have liked to have slapped him. He's confused. He's perplexed. And the Lord says, okay, buddy, you're not going to end here. I'm sending you to Rome. And as we trust him, this is what it looks like. It gets worse. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and they bound themselves with an oath to neither eat nor drink until they have killed Paul. These people will get very, very skinny. By the way, that is a violation of commandment number six. <laughs> they were more than 40 of them. They went to the leading priests and the other leaders and told them what they had done. We have bound ourselves under oath to neither eat nor drink until we have killed Paul. You and the high council should tell the commander to bring Paul back to the council again, they requested. Pretend, it uh, means lie. We want you to pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We're going to kill him on the way. Once again, that's a, that's a breaking of command number six, thou shalt not murder. This group is breaking their own laws to shut up someone they claim is damaging those laws. How insane does sin make you? They're accusing Paul. They want to kill Paul because he's hurting the laws and they're breaking the law in order to maintain the law. Does that sound like our government right now? It's insanity. But sin makes you crazy. It's called depravity. But Paul's nephew... That was his sister's son, heard of their plan, and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers, and he said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did. I mean, Paul's in charge. Is that nuts? <laughs> so the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There's more than 40 men hiding along the way ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anybody know about this, he said. The commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered that he get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. 
uh, by the way, fulfillment of the newest prophecy, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to stand before the government. Then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by some Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. <laughs> <clears throat> He is now out of trouble. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. He says nothing about tying him up and beating him. But I, I'm the hero here. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon, I, 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 I. Sounds like our last president. I, I, I. I, soon, I know some of you are mad that I keep picking on Trump. Take a breath. It's okay. Sorry. I apologize. He's God's man. <laughs> so I soon discovered I soon discovered the chart just lighten up I, I realize now that I've stepped in it I'd like to apologize like Paul did everybody lighten up our king is Jesus it's going to be just fine no matter who you vote for and who you voted for Okay. so Jeff at cwbc.org when I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safely. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law. Certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. I don't know what's wrong with these Jewish people. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I told his accusers to bring their charges before you. Notice how many times he says I. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers take Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning when the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. Then they arrived in Caesarea and they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it, then he asked Paul what province he was from. Caesarea, Paul answered. This is hilarious. They're having a conversation. So you're a citizen of Rome, huh? Yeah, yeah. Where are you from? Caesarea. Oh, I like their pizza. <laughs> I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive. The governor told him that. And the governor ordered him, ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. And by the way, that's the best fortified fort in all of Rome. Why? Because he was supposed to preach the gospel to Felix. And there was nothing Satan could do to shut him up. Until his task on earth is over. Though he stumbled, he did not fall. God picked him up by his mighty right hand. And so it is with us. Same God. Same task. We just have to get our hearts aligned with him. And when we decided to make the message of the church a political one, we stopped looking at heaven and started looking at our agenda and our desires, which may be valid. But we took our eyes off of the king. And we started acting like the world. And we don't have to act like the world because our king is the king of all presidents and kings and lords. Well, what if America goes socialist? It'll still be okay. You're going to spend eternity in a theocracy. Well, what's a theocracy? It's a monarchy whose king is God. Be careful not to be too democratic or you'll hate heaven. You can laugh. It's true. You see, in heaven, you don't get a say. I'm just glad that our king is just and loving and honorable. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not die for the United States of America. He died for Felix and Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump and Mark Wilkie and Anton LaVey 
Boy, I just went back to the 80s, didn't I? He died for all of those people. He died for them. And our task is to tell as many as we come in contact with that Jesus loves them. Straight or gay, adulterer or moralist, Baptist or Catholic or Mormon, the message is the same. There is salvation and adoption through faith in Christ alone. And we will be hated for it by those who don't want that message out. But they can't stop us until God says it's time to come home. Put your hope in God. Lord Jesus, thank you for this text that sounds an awful lot like our deepest fears. So may our passions be for you. And may we hold on to your mighty right hand so that when we stumble, we will not fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. If you would like to make sure that you're getting all the information, you can go out there to the table and meet my dad and my Karen. And uh, I'll be up here if you'd like to pray together and talk.